Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? You breathing a little easier? Because we just got some big news on the wires. Creeping right across the MLBTradeRumors.com information superhighway. The news that our boy Dan will be staying in the warehouse, or at least it would seem for the moment that that is the most likely scenario. She Davidi of Canada Sportsnet reporting that negotiations between the Blue Jays and Orioles have officially concluded. The Blue Jays unwilling to meet the Orioles' demand for three top prospects in exchange for Dan the Man. Is it real? Or does it matter? Has the irrevocable amount of damage been done to the Dan Duquette-Baltimore Orioles relationship? We will unpack all of that. For your listening pleasure later on this episode. We are going to philosophize all over you about this. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming season and our relative levels of excitement for pitchers and catchers. But first, here on episode 116, we're worried. Because as the Dan Duquette departure drama segues inexorably into the Dan Duquette contract development dance of doom, we're left with the dire and disturbing reality that we've run out of D-words. And we've done nothing to patch the holes on last year's ship while watching new holes appear thanks to some key exits. And it appears that our executives are content to fiddle away as Rome burns around them. Does this mean, Sam, that we're looking at another year of toothless Orioles? Well, yes, we're actually guaranteed to be looking at another year of toothless Orioles because Orioles are, of course, birds. And here on episode 116, it's worth acknowledging that all Orioles, and in fact, all Blue Jays, Cardinals, and whatever that screech thing is that hangs out in Nationals Park, are completely toothless. Why episode 116 for this moment? Because as far as science can tell us, it was just 116 million years ago that birds lost their teeth. That's right, using the degraded remnants of tooth genes in birds, a research team led by biologists at the University of California Riverside and Montclair State University in New Jersey had determined that it was about 116 million years ago that the last strands of DNA needed to form enamel and dentin straight disappeared from the ancestors of our modern beaked brethren. On the basis of fossil and molecular evidence, scientists now assume a two-step scenario, whereby tooth loss and beak development evolve together in the common ancestor of all our modern newfangled birds. In the first stage, tooth loss and partial beak development began in the anterior portion of both upper and lower jaws, and the second stage involved concurrent progression of tooth loss and beak development from the anterior portion of both jaws to the back of the rostrum. Now, of course, birds' current horny beaks do very little breaking up of the food, a process which is left to happen mostly in their stomachs. So there you have it, sports fans. Another guarantee from the Baltimoreans, a toothless Orioles year. Not funny, but true.
All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Rostrums, horny beaks. Yep. Anteriors. Just drop some science knowledge on y'all. Ulteriors. And speaking of ulteriors, <laughs> and and ulterior motives specifically. Yeah. yeah. What 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 are we to make of what it now appears to be something we can safely call the aftermath of the Dan Duquette departure drama, which, unlike many dramas, has had a happy ending. Or Here's, maybe you okay. don't believe it's over. Okay. First of all, I'm not ready to put a a final coda on this event. Okay. Because it seems to me that. Uh, just in the same way that we don't necessarily believe Peter Angelos when he says, there's no way I'm ever trading Dan Duquette. He's here. We like him. He's staying. As we said, that was probably some bluster, right? There's no reason for me to believe that the Blue Jays are not blustering just the same. It's a very common negotiating tactic to walk out of the store only to allow yourself to be called back in by someone who is trying to make a sale. So... I'm not necessarily willing to put a final coda on this thing. But let's assume that this news has finished the drama for now. Uh, I still think that our general analysis of the ways that Peter Angelos operates has me on pins and needles. Because it seems as though the Davy Johnson, Roberto Alomar era is a pretty good indicator for what happens once Pete thinks that you're not on his team or that you don't stick by the Orioles' way. And I don't know what's going on in the warehouse, but this went on for a long time. And it definitely appears that this has to have set up some conflict of interest narratives, at least, you know, even a tiny bit, if you're an agent, if you're a player, and you feel like you're not negotiating with the person who has the power, if you're not negotiating with the person who has the full backing of the team, then you might not call them back before you go sign a $5 million contract with the Giants. You might make a little bit of a change before you go spend $8 million with the Astros. You know, if if, if there's this little bit of doubt, then all of a sudden... Some of the, the things that have been transpiring, and I just, you know, name-checked Aoki and Rasmus, but who knows what else other deals Dan could have been trying to, to close. It seems like that level of doubt is bad. Why has the storyline never been what the Orioles were offering by way of a counter to Duquette so that he wouldn't take the Blue Jays' job. Because the storyline has been, we're not negotiating, we're not negotiating, we're not negotiating. Obviously, that's not true because the names of the three players who the Orioles wanted in exchange for Duquette are now widely known. Jeff Hoffman was the uh, ninth overall pick who we wanted. Mitch Ney was some... And then some catcher, right? Bunko infielder and Max Pentecost mm. because... Chris Davis wasn't keeping things quite religious <laughs> enough in the Orioles clubhouse, apparently. So we, we're obviously negotiating, and any claims <clears throat> to the contrary are obviously very silly. Because clearly, we were getting involved in some kind of negotiation with them. Right. So we were willing to let Duquette go at the right price. Okay. So I think the counter to what you're saying is... Yes, it's very easy for us to assume that Peter Angelos made no attempt to keep him and just his knees buckled at the idea that Duquette would breach his contract. And he was like, all right, well, if you want to go so badly, you're out of here. Give me this in return. Is that what happened? Or is it that 
Angelos went to Duquette and said, hey, 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 we, you want to have a conversation about titles and salaries? Why don't you, uh, why don't we make you president of baseball operations here? What's with this whole executive VP thing? And maybe Duquette was like, no, I want to go to the Blue Jays. Maybe Duquette was the one really pulling the strings. It's possible that it cuts that way. It's possible that what happens, I mean, I know Duquette is bound by a contract, but what we don't know is whether Duquette rejected any counter offers that Angelos made. We have to assume that Angelos made counter offers about regarding his position and title with the Orioles because that's even more rudimentary negotiating practice than walking out of the store, but, right? Yes. I think in either scenario, though, um, if Angelos is being his, I mean, I th first of all, I think we have a track record of Angelos not being the hey, 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 rational negotiator that you're painting him as in that scenario. But even if we assume that that is, the the ends in both both cases are very bad because the ends are a degradation of the trust that we have seen between Duquette and Angelos, which for the first time in a long time has allowed someone who knows something about baseball, e.g. Duquette and Showalter, to actually run things versus previous generations where it seems as though Angelos had a much heavier hand and didn't necessarily trust McPhail or other people to do things. And if we're going back to that world, it almost doesn't matter if you keep Duquette, you know? Well, so this, I mean, this kind of segues into looking ahead to the rest of the offseason slash looking back at the offseason thus far as it has been colored by this whole drama, which is to say, do we look at the fact that we were evidently very close to signing Colby Rasmus, but weren't willing to go past a certain number for him, causing him to go ahead and sign with the Astros? Or and let me just register... Thank God, keep him away from my team. I didn't I didn't want Colby Rasmus either. Do we look at the fact that we apparently had some interest in Nori Aoki, who ended up taking a paltry amount of money on a one-year deal to go to the Giants? Do we That's think That's a very good deal for Aoki. It just is just for the record. But do we think that those those players made those choices because they they got the sense that Duquette was not negotiating with them in good faith. He was mentally half planning what his suite in Toronto was going to look like. Or is this just yet another example of Dan Duquette no having a line and saying, we're not going to pay more than this much money for this guy. I'm not going to sign Nelson Cruz during the 2013 offseason to a $75 million deal. It's not going to happen. He's not on our radar. Oh, I can get him for eight. Now we'll have a conversation. Yeah. I'm not spending $8 million on Colby Rasmus. I'll spend seven. I'm not spending eight. I think that, that, that there is a possibility that, that um, it is sort of the Dan plan uh, regardless. I mean, is he just the most cold-blooded motherfucker in town? Even a cold-blooded... I mean, yes, but that Aoki deal... Is, is definitionally the kind of thing that Dan Duquette usually pulls off. I don't know how you value Aoki below $5 million in one year. Like, that seems, given that we have one outfielder right now, like such, you know, give him 5-5 five, five and lure him to a team where, you know, it's a, it's a smaller outfield and it's easier to play. Why doesn't he do that? It seems it's a better position for Aoki and it's a very good deal that he's usually the kind of person to make. So 
Hayward is available in a trade. You don't seem to be part of the conversation. Right. Uh, Butler so, is available for three years and $10 million a year. You're not even part of the conversation. So it's hard to explain our lack of presence in those negotiations. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing about previous versions of Dan Duquette was we were always in those conversations. You know, we maybe didn't um, quite get to the, the, uh, the level that Sinsu Chu wanted, but we were, we were in that conversation. People were mentioning the Orioles as someone who were, was interested in that, we that were, player. We were lurking around the periphery. Right. And it seems to me that what Dan is very good at is he sets, like you say, he sets a line and he will not go over that line, but he'll play the hand up to that line very well. And it didn't even feel like he was playing hands this year. Maybe he was. Maybe he was playing them very surreptitiously. Or what I think is more likely is he was playing them half-assedly. And he was playing them a little bit. He was, you know, he was in on all these negotiations, but he wasn't in to the level that he would need to be to have a chance to win them at the last second. And here's the other thing that we have talked about many times on this show. Dan, for for all of the frustration that he causes us with his hemming and hawing and fishing around in what seems to be the bottom of the barrel, when the moment calls for it, Dan makes a move. He has shown that consistently over the last uh, couple seasons at the trading deadline. He has shown that consistently over the last couple of off seasons. When the moment is right, Dan always takes some kind of action. It may not always be the action we want him to take, but he makes the move that seems necessary at the time to improve the team in some very, perhaps unexpected, but measurable way. And that hasn't yet happened this offseason. And I think anybody who looks at the Orioles outfield right now knows that David Lowe and Alejandro Deaza is not a defend the division title strategy. It doesn't matter if you're getting Machado and Davis and Weeders back. You don't have a serviceable left and right field option right now. I don't think that's the right strategy, but there's a there's a ten percent of my condemnation of all things Dan Duquette that's going on in my head right now, which is like, well, we we have said before that he's not doing anything and it's stupid, and then we've praised him for long periods of time. Um, I think that sitting here at the end of January, we do he does still have a month, <laughs> and. I don't know who's still out there. I can't think of anybody. Um, I don't know if there are good outfielders that are secretly available by trade that we don't know about. I'm, I'm saying I'm going to put – look, I put a little bit of Jason Hayward juice out into the world. It bit me. I'm going to do it again with Jay Bruce. I think okay. Jay okay. Bruce is a guy who's coming off a couple of down years but is still very young, has monster, monster left-handed power. The Reds are wheeling and dealing. They traded Matt Latos, for Christ's sake. Yep. They, they need to free up payroll space so they can sign Cueto to an extension. I think Jay Bruce is a buy-low opportunity, and he's somebody who could hold down right field. He's a guy who has a good batting eye. He's always had a decent on-base percentage. And then he you have a low Deaza uh, platoon which looks less terrifying than both of them having to be in your lineup every day. Well, and this is the thing that's even better, right? I believe uh, so. Lowe and Deaza are both left-handed, so you let them fight for the strong end of that platoon, and Deaza probably wins. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put Delman Young in the only role that it's appropriate to put Delman Young in, <laughs> which is the weak side of the platoon. Yeah, I offered 
Miguel Gonzalez in theoretical exchange to the Braves for Jason Hayward. I would like to put him out there as part of a package again with the Reds sure. to get Jay Bruce. I think sure. Jay Bruce and Jason Hayward are fairly comparable in terms of their respective value to their current teams. Uh-huh. They're extremely comparable in terms of prospective value to us and bruce is not as good a defender yeah. post hype still very young still tons of upside power that will play very well at oriole park let's make this deal yeah well okay so let's take a pollyanna-ish read on the situation so far for a change for a change let's say dan was a little distracted mm-hmm. he, he 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 lost his a game for a second happens to the best of happens us. to the best of us sometimes you know you get a you get an exciting project like you and i were doing earlier today and you <laughs> more on that to come you 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 get excited and you maybe lose focus a little bit on the here and now mm-hmm. okay okay but that door is closed now, and uh, there aren't any deals except for mm, Billy Butler and uh, <laughs> Aoki, which we really wish he'd made. He, he missed a couple of fastballs that were grooved, but he still has a chance, and there aren't a lot of buyers left. Maybe he has a couple other things in his sleeve. Maybe he's now refocusing. He'll, he, he has a month before we have to worry about pitchers and catchers. Let's say uh, he makes that deal. Do you feel okay about that offseason? Assuming he's still talking to Peter Angelos well, in the hall. This is the, I mean, the we've been saying all offseason, everybody has been saying about the Orioles, there is not a tremendous amount that needs to be done. And our prime directive, we thought going into this offseason was like, just re-sign Nick Markakis. Just re-sign Nick Markakis. That's, that's baseline... That's baseline functionality for the 2015 Orioles team. We didn't do that. That's okay as long as you replace that move with something of equal or greater value. And so as long as that happens, and yes. And that's a lot of money. That's the thing. Nick was getting paid a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like we suddenly don't have the cash to make some kind of move. We had, uh, what was it, a $17 million club option on Marcakis for the 2015 season. You have to assume that that $17 million is still in the budget. I don't know how budgets work. Let's pretend that's how they work. So, yes, to answer your question, if we make the Jay Bruce move or equivalent, and just to say it doesn't have to be Miguel Gonzalez, for once in our miserable lives, we are in a position to deal <laughs> from a surplus of pitching talent. Yep. If they want, if we offer Miguel Gonzalez and they want Wei-Yin Chen, I'm okay with it. If we offer Wei-Yin Chen and they want Bud Norris, that doesn't seem likely, but let's say that happens. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I think Jay Bruce, to me, is a very intriguing buy low 40 home run possibility. Jay Bruce will be next year's Nelson Cruz. I guarantee it. Make wow. that move. Wow. I promise okay. it will happen. Better defense in the outfield. And that, that does not take much. It certainly doesn't. <laughs> but... So, yes, something like that move, Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. good with the offseason. The whole Dan Duquette departure drama becomes a, a uh, devastatingly nerve-wracking blip in an otherwise net successful emotional experience and on with the show. If it means that things are bumpy with Dan Duquette and Peter Angelos for a little while— it's just, a storm I, that can be weathered. There's four years left on the contract. I don't have any confidence that Peter Angelos is an adult. <laughs> I, just, I don't. Which I is, don't have any confidence that he's the kind of person to be like, well, everyone was playing the game. The game didn't work out this way. Welcome back. Let's get back to work. 
Does that sound like something Peter Angelos would do? <laughs> okay, no. No, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> so we, we're agreed that's a little bit concerning still. I, it's a little bit concerning, but I think uh, maybe, you know, maybe the two of them just need to get sat down by Buck and... That is true. That is true. There is a there is a third party in this love triangle Mm -hmm. that may be a stabilizing force that has not previously existed in Orioles Park at Camden Yards. Yeah, I I just I guess I also think it's important for us to pause for a second and acknowledge the fact that again, if what has just been reported this afternoon holds, we do get to keep Dan Duquette. There are four years left on his contract. The Duquette Showalter dynamic. There's no reason to think that that has been excessively disrupted by this. The Peter Angelos fence needs to be mended, but that's always the case if we're honest with ourselves. (laughs) There's always some problem that Peter Angelos is behind. Right. So, and the end result is that the the state of the union, the the bedrock Mm -hmm. of uh, Camden Yards is still pretty solid. And we still have, except for right field and left field, which is two fields... (laughs) We still have sixty-six percent of the available fields. Yeah, we do still have an incredibly strong team, and yes. there are moves out there to be made that can rectify that situation. So, what we're rooting for is Major League Baseball TradeRumors.com to come back tomorrow and say Angelos has become the CEO of the Baltimore Orioles operation uh, and is extended through twenty twenty. And is good to go. Wait, Angelos is? I'm sorry. Oh, Duquette is. Duquette is, yes. <laughs> Excuse me. That would make zero sense. But that would be a very Angelos move. <laughs> that would be a very Angelos move. If his response to this I'm was taking to over. give himself a promotion. <laughs> and he doesn't even have to have a contract because he's the owner, but he gives himself. That would be a, that would be the worst case scenario. A fantasy I meant for the best case scenario to happen, <laughs> which is that he does some sort of like public uh, all's well proclamation and we're off to the races well speaking of off to the races we're coming up on pitchers and catchers reporting just about two weeks away and alan smith has some thoughts about that that he was telling me before we began recording i asked him to please stop talking and wait until we could turn on the microphones and have it out with you here on the air we'll talk about that in just a moment on baltimoreans You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. And this over here is Alan Smith. Hello, Alan Smith. So listen, Sam, here's what's been going on in my mind. Okay. Three pitchers and catchers. I am, of course, a little bit excited for that to happen. But last year, when I think about where I was, uh, I was extraordinarily jazzed. At this point in time, partially because we were going to go down to spring training, which we're not going to get to do this year, partially because I thought the team was very exciting and partially because there wasn't a lot of time in my sports watching life that was dedicated elsewhere. I didn't really care about other sports events that were happening in the world. This year, however, my Virginia men's basketball team is perched at number two in the nation. Okay. And they have not lost a game yet this year. The NBA is having one of its greatest seasons of all time, and you can turn on any evening's NBA basketball game and watch exciting players 
at a talent level that we haven't seen in a while playing the game very, very well. The English Premier League is suddenly available on my TV every Saturday and Sunday morning, and I'm watching a lot of soccer, which is a game that I very much enjoy and can kind of pick up whoever happens to be on and enjoy myself. And the NFL, which I'm not watching, has continued its sort of path of self-destruction, meaning I feel better and better every year in a sort of every, every week in a sort of sanctimonious way about my decision not to be involved with the NFL season. So I'm feeling a little bit like I don't need a everyday baseball fix like I have in the past. I'm feeling like my life is pretty full and I'm not sure how to fit baseball in. Uh, Every day, every game is a lot of baseball. And unlike previous years, I don't feel like I have that, that aching gap in my sports and life like I have previously. So I'm, I'm going to put myself on the couch here, Dr. Dingman. What's wrong with me? Well, I, I don't know if I can successfully diagnose you in terms of having a particular disorder, in part because I can't get my act together to buy new socks when the ones <laughs> I'm wearing have holes in them. So putting your faith in me is a terrible decision, and I would have thought you would have learned that by now. <laughs> but I will say that I feel completely the opposite of you about this upcoming baseball season. I feel like this offseason has affirmed for me how much, when it comes to sports, baseball is the only thing that I care about. I don't really think of it as a sport so much as I think of it as... I have realized, I guess, that that I end up thinking of seasons of baseball more like seasons of an HBO series that is peerless in terms of its craft and scripting and narrative allure than I do uh, as a season of a professional American sport. Um, And I feel that way because what I am realizing about myself as I continue to reevaluate my life is I have been thinking a lot about this question of like, what is true Sam? What is not true Sam? And I'm, you know, to be transparent about it, I'm thinking about that a lot because I was in this relationship that I thought was the most true Sam was my dedication and commitment to that relationship, which has now ended. And so has, by necessity, made me rethink what I can define myself as, as and by going forward. And it has become very clear to me that I need in my life, I think because of the place that I live, Um, because of the way that my professional career has gone, I really need experiences in my life, which cause me to feel like time has stopped. Like I am allowed to indulge myself in the experience of something that only feels good and that I am able to do that in a completely immersive guilt-free way. And that's how I feel when I watch baseball. But Okay, I, I totally feel that, and I think that while I um, connect to that in the watching sports sense, I, I, I and and so for me, a little bit of that is defrayed because I get that in other sports watching maybe more than you do. I'm also aware that statistically speaking, the chances that the Orioles are good one year are at some number 
and the chances that the Orioles continue to be good year after year is at a much smaller number, right? So as the team was good the last couple of years, every new year comes with me a little bit more fear that this is going to be the year that all of the hopes and dreams that we have crumble. And I don't know that I am strong enough as a fan to take another precipitous slide. Like, two years ago, we had all of this upside and hope, and we were coming off this season where everything was really exciting, and now I feel like we're kind of at a Fisher cut bait moment here, and either this is the nucleus that's going to take us to a dynasty or it's not, and anything less than 87 wins feels like a failure, and... Maybe Machado's not going to be the guy I want him to be. And maybe Chris Davis is never going to come back. And all of those things are very, very different than where I was a couple of years ago. So for me, it's less that the game has atrophied in my mind and more that the dopamine or the excitement or the hope has been replaced in a pie chart with more fear and loathing. But don't you feel, uh, well, I shouldn't say don't you feel, because I realize that what I'm about to say is a little strange. (laughs) But I feel kind of, I feel like that fear is a very safe fear. It's not a fear of, I know that the worst possible outcome of that fear is that I got to enjoy the experience of an entire baseball season on a pitch-by-pitch, moment-to-moment basis, resulting in the worst possible outcome of that baseball season, which means only that I have a new well of emotional material to draw podcasts and blog posts and conversations with you and others about. Yes, that's, that is true five years from now. But the experience <laughs> of going through that is devastating. It really sucks. I mean, like, I don't know. I... I I it think, really sucks. I think you're underselling how miserable you are when the Orioles play badly. I like, prefer to like, look forward <laughs> to rose-colored glasses. Smith, don't remind me of the truth of my recent past. <laughs> I I don't know. I I I more than once have been out uh, with you at a bar post Orioles loss, and both of us are sort of drawing sad semicircles in the beer spilled on the bar table and not making eye contact with our friends and other fellow patrons. No, no, that's never happened. And whistling the uh, the hanging tree song. <laughs> okay, that, that did happen once. But the harmony was impeccable. True. Um, I guess I can see that. I guess I can see that. But maybe this offseason... I feel a little bit different because the chasm of disappointment that those experiences opens up is frankly nothing compared to the chasm of disappointment that I have felt in my personal life recently. And I think maybe it's caused me to recontextualize okay. my relationship with baseball. At least I'm anticipating a recontextualization of my experience of baseball in the very near future. Yeah. So I don't I guess I'm not a fair weather fan. In the sense that um, this is the home of all all weather fans. So if you are a Fairweather fan, that's okay. But I don't think I'm a Fairweather fan in the sense that if the Orioles aren't playing well, I need to go find another team. But I think I am a Fairweather fan in the sense that I do get my dopamine fix rooting for the University of Virginia men's basketball team. And it is very exciting to be to be a part of their 18 and 0, 19 and 0 now start. Um, which is a little bit 
I, I think I cheat on the Orioles with other sports more than you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I get some of that um, positive dopamine being part of a team thing uh, in a place that makes me a little bit less counting on the Orioles for it to happen. Well, this comes back, I think, to something that we've talked about before, which is that for you, and I'm going to assume various things in this statement, so please feel free to correct them, but for you, the allure of sports is game theory and all of the different ways that that manifests itself and all of the different storylines that that creates and that the Orioles add a drizzle of nostalgia and personal relevance to that storyline but it's the baseline sine curve that is i guess sine curves are completely predictable aren't they ebbs and flows ebbs and flows that is what uh that's what's fundamentally drawing you to the experience for me yeah plus a heavy slathering of um feeling a part of a movement yes for sure for me The only appeal is that the Orioles have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Sure. The sport that the Orioles play is baseball. So that's as far down the game road as I go. Uh But when I am watching the Orioles, I feel as though I am having a piece of me beamed from the television into my chest or beamed from the field into my chest. And I'm having a sense that... I am feeling less than whole, and there is a force in the world which comes into me and fills that gap a little bit. Is Hmm. this the healthiest thing in the world? Probably (laughs) not. But that's okay. Uh, That relationship is very specific to the Orioles and my personal story. Mm -hmm. And it's it's super self-aggrandizing and narcissistic to put that much of my own journey in with that of the Orioles. But that's what I do. that's, That's a coping mechanism that I have for life. It's too late for me <laughs> to form that bond right. with anything else. And there's no way it could ever be as strong as this one is. Unless, you know, I suppose there could be some hypothetical event that happened where I am crossing the street one day and I get hit by a truck and I'm in a coma. And then I come out of the coma and the only thing that's on television is the final four. And so I get really caught up in Baylor's quest for an unlikely division title and that becomes about my quest for an unlikely recovery from getting hit by uh the Caponato Carding Company truck. Um the Caponato <laughs> Carding Company by the way is the private garbage concern that shows up outside <laughs> my apartment building inexplicably every night at 11:30 to collect the garbage from one place and one place only. That's true. And then disappears. There's some shady Yakuza stuff going on here. <laughs> Yakuza Mafia. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. I suppose that's possible. Right. But in the right. absence of something like well, that. No, but that's a very interesting point because I I think that there is a distinction between the University of Virginia men's basketball team, which is, in fact, the only sport, like, close sport that I grew up being able to watch regularly and, uh, you know, the only next-door thing for me. And there's a distinction between them and Tottenham Hotspur, who I have adopted as my EPL team but am only sort of watching because I like watching soccer and I like to sort of – see that sport unfold 
Um, I don't feel the same can't miss a game aspect with them. I don't feel the same connection to childhood listening to the voice of the Cavaliers over a crackly AM radio in my bedroom in Nelson County connection. So you're right that there is a hierarchy of things that could replace the Orioles for me. And it is the ones that are, as you are saying, connected to story and self and childhood that are much higher on that hierarchy. And maybe if I'm thinking about it, it might actually only be Virginia sports that has that space that is different and maybe it's only because the I, I listed a bunch of things that are happening in the sports world, but now I'm sort of trying to figure out, is that true or is it because there's this one and then there's also some other things that I'm watching? Yeah. I don't know. Well, and, you know, there's also this question of, if I may uh, share uh, a bit of your life uh, that's going on, um, I feel like you have been in a situation personally where you have been confronted with a large number of professional frustrations, relationship frustrations over a pretty long period of time. And so, you know, you talk about dopamine. It makes complete sense to me in my experience of you as like a friend and person that you might be feeling like when you look at something like the Dan Duquette departure drama, like, no, no. I don't have any more <laughs> bandwidth exactly. for, for bullshit frustration. Yeah. and Self-inflicted and, wounds, bullshit fun, yeah. frustration at S- that. Yeah. Small-minded, money-based pettiness and a bunch of behind-closed-doors negotiations that you're not privy to that are going to have a very meaningful effect on your life. No. I want to watch an undefeated team play basketball. That's what I want to do. Yep. And so I wonder if that is coming into play. I think, I think that's very fair. At all. I think it's a very fair analysis. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please let us know via the tweets and twaddles how you are feeling in the post-Dan Duquette departure drama world via email at, I almost said Baltimore Sports Report at gmail.com. We are, Which is a good time to mention. We might as well say we are members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, and the Baltimore Sports Report is the flagship program of that network, and you should listen to it because it's great. Yeah. However, that is not our email address, and you can't reach <laughs> us there. Zach would be very confused. <laughs> you can, and don't email them with a question for Baltimoreans. That's that's not nice. No, that's confusing for everybody. You can, however, reach us at Baltimoreanspodcast at gmail dot com, or you can check us out on the web, bmorons dot com. It's where you can find all our episodes. Yep. You can also find our Twitter handle there. Yep, at, at bmorons. Right there on the Twitter. It's on your phone. So Sam. I've actually uh, uh, been doing a little bit of research in preparation for this show that okay. I, I didn't tell you about. Mm. Um, and, and, and in fact, intern Scotty uh, and I have been corresponding back and forth. You... Um, we've been doing a lot of work, a lot of science. He's been in the lab. Um, we've been doing a lot of, a lot of uh, analysis. Uh, you know, he's been he's been pulling a bunch of all nighters. I didn't We've even been, know he was back from Estonia. He he is back. He's in he's in the neighborhood. He wants to get a beer with us a little while, but right now I, don't I got talk him, to him. I got him working. I got him working pulling all nighters, all sorts of stuff for about a week. And after all sorts of time and energy and all kinds of research, we've been able to confirm with beyond a shadow of a doubt. That the tibula is not, in fact, a bone. Uh. 
Well, that is a damn shame. <laughs> because it means we have to officially retract the entirety of episode 115. Which means that you will never again get to hear the sweet sounds of Dan Duquette singing his cover of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, which he calls Put It Off. That's true. And which you can find at our website on could, episode 115. Could find until we have to redact the entire thing. If you missed it, I don't know what to tell you, except that you will probably have 100% less ear bleeding than the rest of the Baltimoreans <laughs> listening population. Good night, Baltimoreans listening population. We appreciate your, your tuning in as always. Hey! If you haven't done so already, why not leave us an iTunes review? That would be that would be lovely. We would we would greatly appreciate that. It it would go a long way to making us feel good. Um, there was some music on the show. You probably know what it is already. <laughs> good night. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.